Hey, I'm Sasha Shell. Welcome to the tenth episode, dear seekers. If you are new here, let me tell you a little bit about what we are doing here. Dear Seekers is a bi-weekly podcast, bringing souls, stories, and style together. I seek out the interesting women in the city, and I would travel to their home, sit down to have some honest conversations around their upbringing, career paths, their success and hardships, the mistakes they have made, the lessons they've learned. I know our conversation is not going to solve your problem or hand over the answers to you, but all I want is to be your friend and help you pick yourself up when you're having a hard day, or offer you an aha moment. As Oprah once said, an aha moment is when we are reminded something that we already knew. So I really hope you get lots of those when tuning in here. Today's guest is Amanda Sheriff, a stylist based in Toronto. She is a gem that Toronto is so lucky to have. Although her super glamorous client list includes the New Yorker, New York Magazine, Das Digital, Fashion Film Festival, Vogue.com, and so many more, how Amanda got introduced to the styling world was actually a beautiful accident. During our chat, she shares her awkward high school years of feeling not fitting in. Many of us probably had that experience, and her dream that seemed so far-fetched ended up turning into a reality. And she talks about why styling is more than just putting beautiful looks together, and the wisdom she learned from having to start all over again at the age of 28. Why did she have to start all over? We will talk about that. But before we get into today's conversation, I just wanted to let you know that at the end of this episode, I will be sharing something new we're planning to do, which you might be interesting to know. So stick to the end. Okay, welcome to Dear Seekers Podcast. Thanks for asking me. And just to let you know, we're drinking some white wine. <laughs> we are. I couldn't do this without it. Let's、oh. be real. So growing up, were you always a kid like to talk a lot, or more like shy kind of kid? It's so funny because I always thought of myself as like this really shy kid, but I've been looking at like old videos, and I have this huge memory box. I'm going through everything, and I'm like, oh my! I was the complete opposite of that. Really? But I think maybe just with the people I was comfortable with, I was、mm-hmm. very chatty and outgoing and kind of over the top. And meeting new people, obviously, was a little bit shy. But no, looking back, I'm like, oh my god, no. I was kind of like a really outgoing kid. So you were born in Mississauga. Yeah, I was born.、Um, I had, I think, the best childhood. My parents had this house that was on Natural Park, so、mm-hmm. they couldn't actually build homes behind it, and they had to maintain like the wildlife and everything. So it was kind of just like our house backed onto a huge field. My days were spent running around barefoot and like climbing trees and having picnics and just. Being able to have fun and play—that was really good for me.、Mm-hmm. And what kind of parents are they? Are they like let you guys do whatever you want, or was more like restricted? Or my mom, she's Italian. She never wanted us to be part of the crowd. That was like very important to her that we dress the way that we wanted to. That we kind of really indulged our dreams, which was what were、incredible. the dreams you had?、Um, 
So again, I looked at a video. My uncle took a video of my seventh birthday party and he went around and he was asking each kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? And oh, I was really? Like, yeah. Wow, your uncle is such a cool uncle. I know. I was like, I'm so glad I have that now. I can look back and see. Right. And I was just like, I want to be a singer, a dancer, an artist, and a Mandalay sheriffs. And I like, <laughs> when I saw that, I like cried. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, so I always wanted to be an artist in some type of way. Mm-hmm. I was a dancer for majority of my life, like in ballet. And you have an older sister. So growing up with sister, what was it like? <laughs> I followed her around. I tried to dress exactly like her. Really? I How much older her. she is than you? She's four years older. So I always wanted to hang out with her friends. I always liked hanging out with the older crowd, which I'm sure she found really annoying. But... Yeah, we're always close. I think we're definitely like so much closer now because I feel like we're closer in age. You know, when I was in high school, she definitely thought I was uncool. And then the second I got to like 18 and I had a fake ID or whatever and we could go out together, it was like, okay, I was accepted again. You know, we were very different um, in a lot of ways, but also quite similar. What do you mean by that? I mean, she is very creative. I mean, she runs two companies. She really has a business mind. And we're like a really good pair because she excels. You have like complementary skills. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I never really felt competitive with her. Mm -hmm. And I think with siblings, especially girls, uh, you feel that kind of competition. Right. But I didn't really. I knew we were so different. And we were going to offer the world two different things. So Mm -hmm. it was never like, you know, I wanted to do exactly what she wanted to do. She never wanted to do what I wanted to do. And yeah, it was good for our relationship, I think. So growing up, you want to be a dancer. You want to be a singer. (laughs) And then, well, did that happen? I mean, you did dance for a while. My mom put me in dance. I think she saw that I was, you know, I was really dramatic. And Were you? Yeah, it's kind of over the top. I changed outfits like three, four times a day. Really? I'm not even kidding. We used to get sent to my Italian grandparents' house like for the whole summer. And my grandmother would just follow me around picking up clothes. I had outfit changes and that was just like who I was as a kid. So my mom was like, okay, maybe I can put her into dance or something like that and see how she does. And it just came really natural to me. So I was competitive ballerina probably until I was 14 or 15. And then I just I couldn't do it anymore. Mentally and physically, I was like, oh, God, it just has such a toll. Mm-hmm. And unless it's like something you re- like, it's your real main passion. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so at 14, you realize you love dancing, but that wasn't something you want to pursue. Yeah. Now looking back, I'm like, oh, I, I kind of wish you did that. Like, I, I don't regret it at all. But I, I think it just became overwhelming. It mm-hmm. was something like, you know, six days a week, I'd have to be in dance. I'd miss the parties and I'd miss... Just everything that was happening, which is, I mean, looking back, it's not important. But at the time, when you're 14, mm-hmm. 15, you know, you want to be going out with your friends. You want to be going to the parties and doing things like that. And I just was, I was missing everything. And I wasn't ready for that level of... Commitment? Commitment. Mm-hmm. It was too young. I was offered a place at National Ballet of Canada and I said, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I took a few classes there and I did it. But especially like going through puberty... I was just too shy and like I felt awkward and I just... But dancing, you don't have to interact with a lot of people. Maybe I'm just lack of knowledge on that field. But being shy, I don't see the conflict of being a dancer. Well, you're on stage a lot. Mm. So I remember it was almost like, and I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way, like musicians and actors, like I would come off stage and I wouldn't remember anything that I had just done. It was like my soul had left my body. I know it was like taken over by something else. And then I would come off stage and I would be like, 
whoa, did that just happen? You know, I, it's like I had to become another person every time I went on stage, and that was kind of taxing. I also thought to myself, am I going to be a prima ballerina? Am I going to be actually doing this? Am I going to be carrying cane? Probably not. I'm going to be in a chorus, waving a rose back and forth, and that's going to be my life. And then I'm going to be retired at 30. And then I'm probably going to have to use a cane at 40. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I put my body... At 14? So you're like, thinking yeah. so ahead. I did, because I was like, I just... You're already planning your life. You're like, okay, I planned this part. I'm like, okay, this is not what I, I want next. I was like, I either want to be like the best or uh-huh. like, and I thought, I don't know, maybe I just didn't believe in myself enough to be like, oh, I'm not good because it came too naturally for me. I didn't really have to try that hard. So I think that was a problem. I think it was like too much talent without the work. Mm-hmm. Now looking back, do you regret it? I did. Like, there was a long time where I could not even go see a ballet because it would upset me. But now I'm like, no, this is the path I was supposed to take. And I get that now. But um, yeah, there were a few years that I was like, why didn't I just go to art school? Why didn't I go to the National Ballet Canada? Why did I decide to go to just, you know, the high school around the corner from me? Now I know I, I needed that. Mm-hmm. So. so when you actually go to see ballet, you probably like, that could be me there. Yeah. Right. It really upset me. I was like, I can't do this. Um, but now I'm like, I've signed up for recreational classes. I want to do it as like, you know, just as a way of stress relief. And But that's kind of it. It does make me happy. Like, I often go out dancing with my friends, like, maybe every week. Because I right. need that release. So after 14, you realize this is not a path you want to take. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened then? Then I went to high school and I was very bored. (laughs) And honestly, I just wasn't challenged at all. Mm -hmm. Our high school didn't have, at the time, a lot of art programs. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I would often go home and take naps. Like, that's how bored I was. Like, it was just like I didn't feel like I excelled at anything there. And I don't know. Yeah, it was strange. I think until up until 10th, maybe 11th grade, I was a little bit lost trying to figure out Mm-hmm. what excited me because nothing did but what were you wearing at that time because as a kid you wanted to change outfits every minute and then now in right. school do you remember what kind of things you were wearing yeah well i went to a catholic school so we had to wear uniforms which honestly i loved but actually it's funny that you asked because i was going through my memory box and i found this piece of paper that listed my hair makeup and outfit for every single day on the week that was like spirit week so for spirit week we could dress like in pedestrian clothing we could wear whatever we wanted Mm -hmm. or one day we'd have to wear a certain color or whatever and I had drawn out looks and hair and makeup for myself for that whole week so at like 15 that's what I was doing now looking as like 30 whatever year old I'm like I was creating my own little editorial or I was putting together looks I was styling myself which is kind of funny because I never thought of styling or fashion or anything then. I was just like, I don't know. So it's interesting. So why did you like the, the part about wearing uniforms? Because that almost restricts what you can be creative. Why can you put it together? It's true. You know what? Because you could be creative in certain ways, like with your uniform. I mean, it wasn't like I was in Gossip Girl and I could like change up my, you know, we all, I always look at that. And I'm like, oh, I wish I did that with my uniform. You went to cafe and it came out with a different outfit. Totally. Like, no, it was pretty strict, I think. But I don't know. There was something about it that was kind of 
a really put together look. It was a kilt with over the knee socks, a white shirt. It was really classic. And I liked that about it. Mm-hmm. And like kind of feminine and girly. I liked that. And everyone was uniform and you can do stuff with your hair that's a little bit different. You know, the goths had spikes. Like, so you still showed your individuality, but you had to be creative with that, which was challenging and kind mm-hmm. of fun. So that maybe that's why I liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So growing up, what kind of women were you looking up to? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, my first ever like wow moment was my mom took me to a Madonna concert when I was like four years old. Four? I swear. What? Yeah. It, Your mom I, is so four. She, yeah, yeah. She probably, well, she was a hippie growing up. So she was like used to going to concerts and stuff. And she wanted us to really be a part of that world and see it. And yeah, my first concert was Madonna. And I think it was the Truth or Dare or Blonde Ambition tour. So this is the tour where she, it's like famous for masturbating on the bed. Oh my God. Yeah. At four years old. Four years old. And I actually remember this moment. When she did it and my mom covered my eyes and I like grabbed her hand and just whipped it off and I like was adamant I'm watching the whole thing because I was transfixed. And that's when she wore those like uh, Jean-Paul Gaultier like, you know, comb boot bra. I remember thinking whatever's happening here is what I want to do. At four years old? Yeah. And I know that sounds like insane to have that memory, but I do. I have that memory of like just being blown away and thinking I need to do this. I didn't understand what it was or whatever. But that level of performance, like, mm-hmm. just, like, blew me away. So that was my number one. She really inspired me. And same with, like, Paula Abdul. But that was, like, because she was a dancer. Mm-hmm. And I really loved that. And, I mean, there were so many. They're all just kind of, like, I mean, Dolly Parton was a huge one for me, too. <laughs> and Julie Andrews. And I don't know. It's, like, these strong women. Right. And their own, like, ways, you know. Mm-hmm. Those were huge inspirations for me. So after high school, where did you go? Um, okay, so <laughs> I think I was, you know what, I was really, I was really depressed for a bit. After high school? After it finished, because I, I did have a great time, and then I was like, wait a minute, I need to figure out what I'm doing with my life. And it seemed like my friends were, and I felt a little bit left behind. I knew that I loved music. I knew that I had an interest in fashion because my first job was at a costume rental place putting looks together and then I did a lot of retail so I'm like maybe I could excel in this but that's after high school like during and after like but and then I was like okay well I got accepted into Ryerson do I want to go there so I did one year there what did you take it was just a it was called arts and contemporary studies it was just like a that sounds pretty cool it was cool But I really wasn't ready for it. And I kind of just like, you know, I didn't really do as great as I should have. So after that, I was like, well, I don't want to waste any more money. So I got to figure out what I want to do. And then I started thinking really about fashion. And I'm like, you know what? I really enjoy this. I wasn't thinking about styling. I didn't really know what that was at that time. And I started looking into fashion schools, but elsewhere. Because I just, I, I could, I didn't, I felt like I just didn't belong. Yeah, and I felt that way in high school too. But even though I had a lot of friends, I just felt very lonely and that I wasn't inspired in any way. And also I'm the youngest, so I was babied a lot by my parents and, you know, so I'm like, I just want to get as far as possible. And you were still living in Mississauga, I was. I was living with my parents, so I had not even moved out at that point. I need to find somewhere to go. So I was looking at New York, I was looking at London, looking in Paris, which was like such a laughable joke because I'm like, It was a dream for me. It wasn't even like a reality. 
It was a dream so far-fetched that Amanda thought it would only be a dream. Till her uncle, remember that uncle who asked Amanda when she was only four years old about her dream growing up? Yup, that cool uncle. Then he was the one asking about Amanda's dream, but now he's about to be the one helping to make her dream come true. I was saying to him, "Yeah, like I really want to do this fashion school thing." Then he said, "Well, actually, I'm getting transferred." From Dallas, Texas to England, so you you should really look into England because you could stay with me and the family. So even though you're really far away from home, you still have your like stability and balance with us. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so it became a little bit more of a reality because I'm like, okay, it's not such a distant dream. So I looked into the University of Arts London, and I knew Central St Martins was a part of it, and London College of Fashion. And I was looking through a lot of the programs, and I thought, okay, buying and merchandising is cool, and I could see myself wanting to do that. Like I've been in retail, so buying is something I would want to do. So I applied, and I remember you like the application process is kind of long, and you have a phone interview, and then you have to send a package of stuff and an essay and photos of yourself. So you kind of have to like style yourself, and、wow. it's a little bit ridiculous, but it was fun to do. And I sent it in, and I like honestly did not expect anything, and I got in. And I do、cried. remember the day you got a letter. Yeah, I got a package, and I was like, "Oh my god, if this is a package, you know." And I opened it, and I cried, like a good half an hour. And I hid it from my parents because I was like, I don't know, I, I didn't think that, like now it was such a real thing, you know, and they、mm-hmm. would have to. Let you go. Let me go, and I didn't think that they would, so I hid it from them for a few days, and then finally I was like, I got it, and I was like, I want. Why do you think they wouldn't let you go though? Because your mom, at least, seemed like very open-minded. She's so. It's funny because even though she has this hippie spirit and she's really open to things, she's also so Italian, or she's just like wants us to be around all the time and like a little bit overbearing and. But obviously, in the most loving way. So, and especially, I was like, well, I was twenty one, turning twenty two. I'd never lived on my own. I'd never really done laundry. Sorry <laughs> for anyone who's listening. <laughs> But if you have an Italian mom, that's kind of you know, I didn't really cook for myself. It was just like I was gonna go off, you know, six seven hours away by flight and have to do it all on my own. Kind of. I didn't think they'd be down. But also, I would, you know, I'm an adult. And I'm gonna do it anyway. Right. So I was like, I'm getting out alone. I'm doing this and blah blah. blah. Yeah, it all worked out, and I ended up in London. <laughs> Studying London, living her dream, Amanda is getting closer and closer to finding and being herself. There, you're free to dress. Any way that you want to be, anyone that you want to be, you could go out in a mesh shirt and like underwear. No one is gonna look at you. You know that's what I like. It's so freeing, and it taught me a lot. And they've never seen so many weird stuff. Like whatever you do, <laughs> yeah, like, it cannot maze them anymore. Yeah. yeah, and people just have fun with their looks, and they just like it's not serious. And I. That's exactly what I was looking for. So when I was at home and I was bored and I wasn't like it was because I needed this this type of inspiration and freedom 
to figure out who I was, what I wanted to do, and like be around people who could inspire me. And you mentioned you didn't feel like you fit in when you were in high school or even after. So when you landed in London and start studying there, did you feel like that sense of belonging? I did, yeah. I mean, no, yeah, I really did. It was kind of like immediate for me, and it was like I wanted to be involved in everything, which was, you know, completely opposite from my high school experience. It was like I was signing up for every internship I could. I wanted to assist Mariano Vivanco, the photographer. I did. I wanted to intern at Dolce & Gabbana. I did. Burberry. I did. It was like I just pushed myself, and it was, it was kind of shocking to my whole family because they were like, "We." Did not expect this of you, like, you know, go to a city on your own, kind of. And uh, you become this, like, chatty, confident woman. It was like a blossoming kind of overnight. Mm -hmm. And you almost, like, came out from your shell or something. I did. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, I could really dress the way that I want and not feel, I don't know, like I'm going to be made fun of. Because that's kind of how I felt like it was here. I totally know what you mean. Yeah, there was mm-hmm. restraints. I felt restraints. Yeah. The level of acceptance here cannot compare to London or Paris or yeah. New York. Yeah. I, I mean, we were talking in the 30s and then now it's easier to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Don't care too much about what other people think. Yeah. But when you're in 20s, that would play a big major part. Yeah. No way we can walk on the street and then not care about what other people think. I know. That confidence. I mean, it wasn't there. And I was also like, I mean, as a woman too, you're like trying to figure out your standards of beauty and how you fit. Like I said before, like dressing sexy or trying to be sexy or trying to be something else. And it just doesn't work. (laughs) And now I'm just like, yeah, I don't care. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy with wearing this like crazy renaissance puff shirt you know <laughs> and it's sexy so to me beautiful yeah yeah so let's talk yeah. about the internship at Dolce Cabana did your mom were like oh my god it's an Italian yeah. friend it's almost like very oh my god very Italian very Italian she was I think so proud um It was a small showroom in London. It was very, they were so hands-on. They gave us so much freedom. I met one of my really good friends there now, um, Joseph. And it wasn't just, here, make us a coffee. They wanted you involved in everything, which I think to me, I was like, whoa, this is, this is great. This is an internship that I actually want to do, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was basically what they were doing was selling look selling the collections to buyers all over Europe so initially we were supposed to just like sit with them and kind of like put in the orders Amanda was signed to do some administrative duties such as putting the orders in helping of the showroom and all that till this happened they were like okay the models are coming in why don't you like dress them up and take some of the looks and why don't you try mixing some of these prints together? Why don't you, you know, they kind of just like steered me in that direction and then really let me run with it. So I felt so confident doing it. It wasn't like restricted or that I had to follow like a guideline. They just kind of showed me what the British woman wears or what the Japanese woman would wear or the Italian woman would wear. And that's how I kind of learned how to do it. Do you remember the first look that was bought? I don't. I really don't. I wish I did. But do you remember the moment that they told you, Amanda, 
these are the looks that the buyers bought. Oh, I wish I did. I remember that they were like, oh, we had a really good buying day. I don't remember exactly which looks. Uh, I wish I did, though. But it was a long time ago, I guess. Mm. Um, but yeah, they were really great. And then I remember my visa was running up because I just finished school and I was getting ready to go back home. And I sat with the director and he said how happy he was with what we did, what Joseph and I did. And I just, I'd never felt so accomplished. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. This is like the opposite end of buying. Do I want to be like in sales? Or do I want to get to understand what styling is? And yeah, that's when I really started. So your visa was running out and then yeah. did you stay or? I couldn't. I was like, okay, I have to pack all my stuff and go back home. How long did you stay in London for? So that was, school was I think two and a half, three, three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had only lived with my uncle the first year and then I got my own apartment, which was like terrifying and fun. It was funny. I could only like... From my bed, I could reach my arm out and touch my stove. Like, that's how small my, oh my apartment God. was. But I loved it, you know. Um, that sounds like the first independence. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, this is my... It was flat seven. I'll always remember that. Yeah, so I had to go back home. So my sister came. She helped me move all the stuff back home. I want to apply for another visa to go back to England. You know, I feel like it can really do well there. I don't know if the opportunities are in Toronto. I don't know. So I came home and I actually started interning for Flair. And I did that... Or I don't even know how it must have been like probably a year at that I was going through visa process so I could go back mm-hmm. and I ended up going back you ended up going back to after London. a year yeah I was like I gotta go back and see what happens so, so what happened <laughs> well in a nutshell this is what happened Amanda got a job as a merchandiser for an online retailer although it was challenging at first she quickly realized it wasn't a job could fulfill her creative desire. The job itself involved many tasks on a computer, like filling out spreadsheet, doing math and all that. So she knew and wanted something different. And an opportunity came. While I was doing that, I had been introduced to a female singer called Ren Hartview. And she was just starting her, well, actually, she I think she had completed her first album, but she was starting to look for stylists. She was under Island Records, like Universal Records, and we just really got on. And I was like, oh, I'm thinking about getting into styling, and I don't know what happened, but we ended up, I think we went shopping together, or I got her some looks for a shoot, and she really liked them. So she was like, do you want to be my stylist? And honestly, at the time, I think... The record company wanted this really big stylist and she kind of pulled for me. So that was really nice of her. And did you deliver? Yeah. (laughs) Of course I did. No. I mean, it was was terrifying, but it was also, she was quite young. She, I believe Ren, and I hope I don't get this wrong if she's listening, but she was probably like 18, 19, 20-ish, you know, and I was 23, 24. So we were both kind of young. And inexperienced. We had each other though, which was great. And I think Mm -hmm. that was important to both of us because it's such a tough industry, especially, yeah, being a young musician. And I think she just wanted someone to be there for her, tell her the truth, 
And also, like, I wasn't going to put her in something that was going to make her uncomfortable. And I think that's where I learned the importance of really just, like, getting to know the person that you're dressing. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask that because prior to this gig, you actually were styling, like, uh, mannequins, right, for the Dolce Gamana? Or you actually styling models. models? Oh, really? So it was like, yeah, but it it's so different because... Mm-hmm. It's kind of like they pretty much have to wear whatever I put on, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas a musician, you have to factor in their personality and what they like to wear and and also what they're not comfortable wearing and, you know, the body parts that they're not comfortable showing. And I think especially with younger women, too, like you don't want to, I don't know, it's kind of like a, a touchy subject because you want them to have control. And I think at that time, too, it's like the the record company wants control of them. So it's a fine line of like making the record company happy, but also your client or your friend or, you know, the person you're styling. And also your personal style. Yeah. Yeah. Touch onto the look. Yeah. Um, But we worked really well together. Um, I think it was just, it ended up being like a really good friendship. After having a real taste of being a stylist, Amanda now is pretty sure that is what she wants to pursue. I talked to my manager and I was saying, I really want to get into styling department. And he was like, okay, we'll talk to them. And I met with the styling department and they were really enthusiastic. It seemed like that's where I was going to go. And then I got an email and it said, actually, your manager like vetoed your move. Wow. Yeah. And I was so so he actually, this is, oh, he said to me, um, Amanda, after work, I'd like to go to a coffee shop across the street and chat to you about your future at Kokoza. And I was like, okay. And we went across the street and he said, you know, I just don't feel like you should be making the move to the styling department because, you know, we don't have that many people in the merchandising department and, you know, we can't hire an intern right now. So I'm like, okay, well, this is really what I want to do. I'm like, I just don't feel challenged. And he's like, so what would you like to do? I'm like, well, I would just like more challenge in work. And he said to me, um, he was like, well, you can take my administrative work if you want. You could do my mail outs and my... He's <laughs> like, that's not what I wanted to do. No, but I was also like, that is so disrespectful. And you also took me outside of the workplace. Yeah. To sit at a cafe to tell me this and to make me feel like garbage, basically. Or like a kid. He he treated me like a child. And I was like, okay, now I got to leave. And then honestly, I went home. I cried to my boyfriend. And I was just like, what am I going to do? And he's like, yeah, you got to follow your heart. And if it's styling, then you leave. So I did. Honestly, the next day, I was like, yeah, I'm quitting. They were like trying to get me to stay. And they're like, how about like part-time? You could do both. And I'm like, no, no, like I'm out. You know, if I have a manager who doesn't respect me, mm-hmm. you know, and talks down to me, like I'm, um, no, this is not. Yeah, no respect whatsoever. No respect. Oh, anyway, so yeah, I left that and I I think I had a glass of champagne and I was like, I'm a stylist now. Oh. And then- <laughs> So you now you officially going freelance. Yeah. And with Ren, it really picked up because her album was, I think, top five on the UK charts. And she was kind of everywhere. So I was doing a lot. I was doing stuff on the BBC. Yeah, the British Fashion Council 
hired her to sing at one of their galas. So I worked with Burberry to come up with a few looks for her for that. My career had started really getting up there and I was like, wow, okay, you know, working with Ren has been great. It led me to like meet incredible people and work with the best, like this photographer, Hurley Weir. And I met like my idol, Bianca Jagger, and we spent a night with her. And I was like, this is incredible. Like I've done so much. We created a dress with an upcoming designer for her appearance on Later with Jules Holland, which is kind of like, I'm trying to think of the equivalent, the Canadian or American equivalent. It's like a late night talk show, but mm-hmm. with just musicians. Um, and it's really big there. So that was like a huge moment in my career because I got to work on creating a dress for her and it was like her, you know, on the BBC and I was so excited. And then I was like, yeah, when I get home after this visa, I'm going to have so much work. Like I'm going to get like picked up by like an agent. So she's now ready to come back home to Canada and it believes that all of these hard work under her belt, she's going to kill it. But... That just wasn't the case. At 28, I was like lying in my old bedroom at my parents' place underneath like the same strokes, like the poster. And I was like, my God, it's like, it was all a dream. Mm -hmm. None of it had happened. And I was like, okay, and I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I was depressed. Like, so I I remember crying to my mom and being like, "I, I just don't know what's next because I can't go back to the UK right now unless I get married right if I go to the US I also have to get a visa stay here I mean I can try and make work but I I'm I felt like I didn't have any friends I didn't know the Toronto in like fashion industry I was like it's starting from scratch all over again so that was 28 (laughs) I don't know it just was a couple of years of like, I remember actually, no, I was looking for agents or something and I was bringing my books around and I was showing people and they didn't really know, they didn't really know. I mean, first of all, Ren Harvey's not known in Canada. They didn't really know the people that I worked with there. They didn't care about the BBC. They didn't care about any of that. They didn't care about Burberry or British Fashion Council and I was just like what like I thought I had done so much yeah I was like but I was but I did this thing and I was in that and it didn't matter why do you think though because you think all these achievements I don't really well I think it's because I mean I I don't know I've asked myself that because I was like what I just I had just gone to like Nashville and I shot a music video with Ren and that Karen Nelson who's a singer and supermodel and we'd shot in Jack White's house and it was this like really cool thing and I ended up styling both of them kind of and I was like oh that for sure like they'll know Karen Nelson but no one really cared and I was like oh okay they were like yeah you just need to test a lot in Toronto and you're not ready for New York like don't even think about New York and I was like okay which really bummed me out because I was like I thought you know I had a lot of my in my portfolio whatever so I was bummed Just as she was told she wasn't good enough for New York, she was booked for the New York magazine. So I was like, ha, I'm not ready for New York, but maybe I am. Mm -hmm. So it taught me, like, you know, 
really don't put your trust in everyone. You have to trust yourself. And it was funny. I was saying to my friend last night at dinner, I'm like, why do we always like automatically trust everybody else over ourselves? You know, like, okay, yeah. Do I think I was ready for the move to New York? No, but I had done a lot and I was like, I'm talented. I can do this. And, you know, and yeah, I got booked for that job. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, we always um, tend to like listen to our inner voice first. Like yeah. that, and sometimes the inner voice comes from like a critique or self doubt that we just so stick to it. And then we, oh God, yeah. we talk us, us down. Like if it's a friend, we'll never talk to this friend again. Oh my God. I, I was thinking that too. I'm like, whoa, like why don't I, what I tell my friends and how I am to my friends, why aren't I like that to myself? You know, it's like we're the hardest on ourselves. Yeah. It's so true. And that's how I I was like, I I felt, I felt not worthless. I just felt like, I don't know how I'm going to start again. Mm -hmm. You know, because I had like my boyfriend and I had broken up. I lost my really nice apartment that was in the UK. I'm living with my parents again. I was like. Back to square one. Back to square one. Starting at a vintage store. I mean, working at a vintage store. I was like, what am I, like, what is this life? I, a couple months ago, I was like having drinks with Bianca Jagger. And now I'm like sitting in my bedroom, listening to Morrissey, being depressed. (laughs) You know what I mean? Did you feel like, oh my God, I'm like nobody now. Totally. I legit had no friends here because all of my friends from high school had like moved away or they just like carried on with their lives. They had girlfriends or boyfriends and it was like, okay, and now I have to make new friends. And that's when I met Lindsay of Iris Denim at her vintage store. And she introduced me to so many people and it was like, oh, okay, like-minded people who are doing things. And yeah, it was exciting. It was like kind of a really i've never lived in toronto and i I, like it's it's kind of a new era it was exciting because people were dressing the way that they wanted and listening to the same music that i did and doing creative things yeah it was exciting time to be in toronto Mm -hmm. because it was so new for me right so it's kind of interesting because you i mean mississauga is still a little bit way out of toronto but you're still Mm -hmm. part of the gta so you're born and raised in here but when you move back it's almost like you moved to a brand new city Totally. I had yeah. a new appreciation for it because I'd always be like, ah, Toronto sucks, you know, mm. but actually, no, there's so many great creative people here. You know, it really is. There's such a good scene, but I had to come back and kind of find it or be shown it actually. And yeah, I was just so close minded, I think, before I left and I had to go out and find myself and figure out what I actually wanted to do and who I wanted to be. But so once I did and I came back and I was like, oh, OK, no, this is nice. <laughs> like, it's not too bad here. No, it's OK. <laughs> yeah, I can go home for some pasta. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> So what are you doing now? What am I doing now? (laughs) I'm still doing styling, but I also think it's important that, especially if you're in a creative field, have a side job. And actually, a friend of mine told me that when I was in New York, Kristen Gallico, she's a photographer and a makeup artist, and she also DJs, and she's she's more than one thing, and I love that. 
I don't just want to be a stylist. Like I, I heard this quote was like, be a verb, not a noun, you know? Oh, I but, like that. Yeah. We're more than just one thing, you know? So I was like, yeah, I want, I need a side job and I need something that will obviously bring me income, but that I can learn new things. And that was at Frock. And the woman, Catherine um, Dyka, who owns it, she was also a stylist. So I learned a lot from her being a stylist in the 90s and just a whole group, like a new set of lessons that I got from just being there. And then it taught me, you know, maybe there's something in design that I kind of want to do. So I'm working on a really fun project with my family. Ooh. Yes, I'm so excited about it. Wow. Can you share that right now? Yeah. I mean, my mom used to have this store in the 60s called Bus Stop. Oh my God, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So recently we found a lot of the modeling photos from there and the outfits. And obviously I have a passion for vintage. So I was like, it would be really great to recreate some of the looks from my mom's store, but do it as a family thing because, you know, my sister's in social media. My mom has a background in design and she's just such a good buyer and I've been styling. So we're doing this whole thing and we're naming it after um, the nickname my grandfather used to call me, which is Bionda, which is Blondie in Italian. Oh, Bionda? Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited about it right now because wow. it's, yeah, it's something new and different mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I think it'll be good. Yeah. And he's like family doing it together. Yeah. I mean, my family's like so full of strong women. My nonna, my grandmother, my mom, my aunt, my sister, they all have been like entrepreneurs and it's the reason why they came to Canada. So it's just there. And I, I feel like we should do something together. Also, it's like a nice little legacy. And mm-hmm. yeah. So when did you, because as soon as we see your style, we know that's very Amanda. So when do you, do you think? think <laughs> yeah. How did you find out your style? Was it like a, you always like that? Was it an evolving thing? Um, I think it definitely evolved because I do remember wearing green Uggs. So it, my style has evolved. But I don't know. I think it was always there. I was always borrowing from my mom. A lot of my clothing is from my mom and my aunt when they were young. They kept quite a lot. So it was always like very 60s, 70s. But I think I always loved like really bright colors or a lot of pattern. I love patterns. So I think, yeah, it's definitely evolved. And now I'm just like, oh, the crazier, the better. The crazier, the better. Honestly, the crazier, the better. Yeah, from the three looks we just saw (laughs) earlier. I know, and that's just like... That's living proof. Now talking about styling, Mm -hmm. you know, like with social media and everything is so prevalent. A lot of like people just put on something, style themselves, which is plot for their courage and creativity. But what do you think, what kind of role a stylist can play in a fashion world and in in the world we're living right now? Because I feel like there gotta be something more than just putting a look together. I'm a stylist. It gotta be something more than just that. For me personally, I, I think it's the, I always say, that you would make a really good stylist if you're able to make the person feel good. It's not like you're throwing on a look up. You know what I mean? Like if someone does not want to wear it, they do not feel comfortable, I'm not going to make them do it. And I think a lot of stylists think that they really push a look, especially even in a shoot. Like if a photographer doesn't like it, they really want it. And it's like, no, it's a collaborative job. Mm -hmm. So if the photographer doesn't like it, they're not going to shoot it well. It's not going to look great. If the 
person who's wearing it, the artist, whatever, doesn't feel confident in it, it's not gonna look great. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just like, you almost kind of become, I wouldn't say therapist, but you, I don't even know how to explain it. But as you mentioned earlier, right, when you're styling Ren, you actually mm -hmm. bring her own personality into yeah, the work. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to. Even sometimes with models too for editorials, it's like you can't just throw a look on someone. You have to establish their personality and see what works well. And so what kind of things you will do before you go on set if you style someone you never worked with before? Um, definitely a lot of research. I think that's like my favorite part of it. Researching, figuring out kind of what they like. So you're almost like a people reading. Yeah. I usually ask for like a mood board or send me some photo inspirations, whatever, and see what they pull and, you know, and then kind of figuring out from there. Getting them to push the envelope a little bit, which I think is important, especially in like a photograph. I'm always for over the top, obviously, but um, finding a comfortable medium too, where I'm going to be happy, but they're also going to feel really confident. I think that's important. I also feel like fashion to me is a celebration of life. And I never heard about that before. I heard yeah. about it, it's a way of expression. Never heard about celebrating life. Yeah, it makes me feel alive. It honestly makes me feel alive. When I get ready to go out and I'm like curling my hair and starting to figure out what I want to do and I create this look, it's like, I don't know, it makes me feel alive. It's like, again, the performance aspect. Do you put like a kind of almost like a persona? Totally. Right. Like, who am I going to be tonight? Think, okay, tonight, I mean, I've, I said before, I've been watching a lot of like 60s Italian cinema and I'm like, oh, I kind of want to be like this and have my hair curly and big red lips and black winged eye and puffy dress or something. And that's who I am for that night. It always changes. Like I'll watch a movie. I'll see like Call Me By Your Name and I'll it'll change or I'll watch mm. something. By the way, that, that killed film. me. Oh my God. That killed me. It inspired me so much because I was going through like a period of not feeling inspired at all because we all go through those waves. And I took myself to the movies, watched it and was blown away. I've seen it three times. It's embarrassing. Oh, really? Yeah. When I like something a lot, I kind of become obsessed with it and I will continue to watch it because I find that like watching a film a few times, you get different things out of it. Mm-hmm. It's like reading a book, right? Totally. The second time is definitely different than the first totally. time. Totally. And the costume design, even though it was kind of, it was perfect. I was like, God. It was so simple, doll. Simple, but like, Oh, yeah. good. Every part of that. But film that's is good perfect. design. And I mean, that's good styling. That's good styling. When it doesn't look like a costume, I think that's another important thing. I never want someone I'm dressing to look like they're wearing a costume. Even myself. I'm like, no, I can't. It has to feel, it has to feel real. And what are the hardest part of being a stylist? Oh, there's so many. I mean, sometimes you'll get a lot of jobs and then there'll be a dead period so you have to really know how to manage your money you have to hope that it picks up again it's always like up and down so you have to manage your money you have to have good credit because you have to have a credit card I mean you have to have build relationships with like PR people I think what's difficult is sometimes people will be like oh like for instance the New Yorker the last time they called me they were like okay like can you be in New York in a week and here's a list of a hundred pieces that we need you don't necessarily have to find a hundred but find as many as you can and they have to be vintage and they have to be this and it was just like a checklist and you have this amount of time and it's like whoa so you have to rely on your resources and 
trusted allies to help you because sometimes, and especially if it's like during fashion week, like you're never going to get clothes. You really have to like pull some strings and that that's hard. Every job that I have, I'm always like the most stressed in my life. And then afterwards I'm like, oh, that was great. That was a thrill. <laughs> But which part was the most stressful usually? Running around to get stuff. Like I am not at the point in my career where I have like a million interns doing that for me. I personally go and pick up the stuff. I mean, unless they ship it, which is great, but I'm usually going there and picking up the things. And the last time I was in New York for the New Yorker, I had gone to this PR company and I had, I'm not even kidding you, like five garment bags, it probably weighed more than I did. Called an Uber, he was coming around and stepped onto the street and I fell into a manhole. Like I literally fell into a hole holding oh the garment God. bag. And I was like, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> like, I could have broken my leg. Thankfully, I wasn't wearing heels. But it was like, okay, this is what I have to do. Crawled out of the hole, got into my Uber with all the garment bags, and continued on and did that for, like, the next four hours. I'm like, okay, when people say that styling is glamorous, I will tell you that it's absolutely not. What do you think is your purpose? Ooh. Whew. What Sorry is to throw a heavy one on you that is heavy that's very oprah um what's my purpose do you think one person has only one purpose or you think you can have multiple purposes i think you can have multiple i mean i know that i know what i want to get into in my career and where i want to go and i don't know and that's like helping emerging designers i think i've done that throughout my career by getting people to wear emerging designers Is that my purpose? I, I don't really know. Like, I don't know. On a deeper level, my purpose, I just want to help people, make them feel inspired, feel confident. And push them a little bit more. Push them to their limits a little. Because we have one life. And let's make it fun. I don't want to be boring. So. Boring is the new crime. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Don't be boring. And what gets you up every morning? Ooh, what gets me up? genuinely pretty jazzed about life like i the second i wake up well okay after coffee i will write i down, know i was gonna say <laughs> coffee is what gets like, me wait up. a minute yeah coffee actually it is coffee and then i'll write down 10 things that i'm grateful for because i think that really helps you get in like a positive mind space oh that's a very nice practice yeah I, it could be like anything big or small i really try to do that every, i mean it doesn't happen every day but i try And uh, I guess that's it. Ooh. But before I let you go, you cheated though. I did, I did. Because you listened to the podcast. Well, would you thank you very much? No, it's really good. So I'm excited. Okay. So this question, since you listened to the podcast, you know. <laughs> so the scenario is like the robots or late aliens are taking over the world, but they're giving each human on this planet mercy to remember three memories of yours. To keep them with you after the brainwash process. Okay. So go. Thank you for that. Um, one of them would be, I well, a dream of mine was to do something for Vogue Italia, which I did, which was like insane. And I was shooting with my friends and everything went well. And it was just like a really beautiful, nice day. And I felt so great that everything went well. And I remember just being in a cab, listening to my music, driving over the Brooklyn Bridge, crying, but like happy crying. 
I'd bottle that moment because I felt dreams do come true. As cheesy as that sounds, that's definitely one of them. Another one would be probably like family related. My grandparents, Italian grandparents, used to have big parties all the time. They'd all dress up and dance to Italian music on like this huge patio. Aww. And that was really fun. That was like the happiest moments, I think. So that would be number two. And third one, probably uh, lying on a beach. I think it was like Toronto Island or something. And I was with a boyfriend at the time and falling asleep on the beach and waking up and he was taking my photo. I have it in my bedroom, actually. And he was like, oh, this is my love song to you. This is photo. Oh, that's And that wow. feeling of love. I'd say that one. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's really nice. So, and now it's the same scenario, but okay. instead of three memories you can keep, you can have three truths that you can keep with you or you, and you can share with other people after the brainwash process. Oh my God. <laughs> Everybody just remember three memories <laughs> and three truths. Thanks, aliens and robots. Okay. Um, there's one that's so, like this year, especially like really rings true to me. And I'm like, I always have to remember it. I think it was Maya Angelou or something who said it. When someone shows you who they are, believe them. And that I'm like, whoa, it's so like profound, even though it's so simple. But so that, um, God, I don't know. Can I say one for three? No. No, I just three. Okay. Do you want to come back to this? We can come back. Or you want to just get it over with? Okay, let's get it over with. I'm going to rip off the band-aid. Number two, I mean, I always say to my friends, guys, we're going to die. We're going to die. Oh my God, I say that all the time. Like, actually, my friend in England used to say this really, like, morbid thing. That, like, one day, insects will be eating out of our eyeballs. So let's make it work. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I don't hey, want to think about that. That was <laughs> too extreme. <laughs> like, that's horrible. Maybe cut that out of the... <laughs> that's okay, we keep it. <laughs> Um, no, but we're all going to die. And I think about that a lot because I'm like, like we were saying before, 30s are flying. I do a lot of things that scare me all the time. And I think it's important. Oh, that's my third. Yeah. Do you think that scare you? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. What's your definition of love? Oh, definition of love. <laughs> I don't know. It changes all the time. Right now. Right now. My de- definition We were of talking love. a year and then see if it changes. Yeah. No, just being happy with yourself. I think it's more self-love now. I'm in my 20s. I was like, eh, I'm in love with you know everyone. Now it's a little bit different. It's like, mm-hmm. I think just being happy with yourself. Confidence. Content. Yeah. I guess that's yeah. love. If you could be born in any city in the world, which city would that be? It would be between like Paris or probably my mom's hometown. You know, she's, Where that is. So it's north of Venice. It's called San Vito Italimento. So maybe there, where my grandparents came from, like Rosa or... No ors. You kind of okay, take okay. one. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Paris, maybe. Okay. Paris is pretty dreamy and, yeah, Paris. In which era? Ooh, I'm going to say 60s. And last one, what are you currently seeking? Hmm. Always happiness. Just trying to maintain that, you know, and that's just by doing things that I love because I've realized that's what makes me the most happy. Okay. We'll see. <laughs> that's it. Oh my God, thank you. Oh. I was so scared, but it wasn't that bad. Why are you scared? I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully, I didn't bore anyone. But. No, I was like, listen to everything. 
Thank you. It was great. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening in. I want to know what is your story, what you are currently seeking, and if our podcast has helped you in any way during this process. So we are starting something called Open Mic. You can simply use your phone to record something that is under one minute, share what you're currently seeking, your thoughts, stories, struggles, or new perspectives on the things you have discovered.、Um, you can share your first name, the city you're in, and if you like, feel free to share what do you do as well. Then send your recording as MP3 or WAV file to HeyIdeaSeekers.com. We'll share one recording at the end of each episode. You never know; your story might just resonate with someone else's out there. And please head to iTunes to give us a review or five star, <laughs> or not if you don't like us. That's okay. If you like listening on Spotify, you can also meet us there and search "Dear Seekers" on Spotify. Every woman we feature has shared a playlist. You know, sometimes a beautiful song is all we need to go through a tough day. And our Instagram is Dear Seekers. For those who have DM me, thank you, thank you. It means a lot. Lastly, our home visit to Amanda's beautiful apartment in Roncesvalles are also available now on DearSeekers.com. Head over there because she has shared some awesome local recommendations with you, such as where to shop antique, where to watch an indie film. You don't want to miss it. Okay, so until next time, happy seeking.